Good morning, First Alliance family. Um, I wish I could say it's good to see you here, but I do not see you right now. Uh, if you are watching this from home and you are used to watching this from home, then what you've experienced so far probably isn't a whole lot different than what you're used to. But if you are actually here at First Alliance real time on Sunday morning, you are um, it's a little bit strange for you because you're looking at an empty stage and an empty music stand here and watching me on the projectors. Uh, the reason for that is that this uh, this sermon is actually pre-recorded. I have a one-person congregation right now, Philip Klutz. Thank you very much, Philip, for coming in. He is about 70 feet away from me, and the reason is because uh, I am COVID positive. I tested positive earlier this week, and I was going to try to get here on Sunday, and I asked the doctor what I could possibly do, and she said that if I could, if I could manage to get a negative uh, rapid test on Saturday, then I could come in and actually try to stay away from people and preach on Sunday. And so I took the rapid test on Saturday, um, and the rapid test uh, came back positive. So I am technically still um, contagious, and that is why um, uh, you are here right now, and, and I am not. So I guess what you can do is maybe pretend that, that you go to one of those mega churches and you're at the Lexington campus, and they're, they're pumping in you know, the, the, the pastor for the message um, this morning because it'll, it'll be a little bit like that. If you think this is weird for you, um, it's also weird for me, believe me, because I believe that right now I am watching myself from home, and I hate to watch myself preach, so um, I will be, uh, it won't be a real pleasant thing for me. But what I'm going to do this morning uh, with you is I do want to start a new series of messages, and this series will, will probably last for about uh, six to ten weeks, maybe six to eight weeks, I should say. It's, it's going to be a little bit different than a lot of the series is that we do together in that it's more of a topical uh, study, and it's going to be intensely um, practical. Uh, we're going to be talking about something that is part of all of our lives, something that is uh, impossible for us to escape, but something that is ultimately a wonderful gift from God. And I am talking about our emotions, our emotions, uh, our feelings. Uh, this topic is, is going to be uh, very interesting, I think, but it's going to be very challenging uh, for me to talk about this for a number of reasons. First of all, and I don't know if this happens to every preacher, but Dawn and I have noticed over the years that sometimes the things that I am preaching on tend to work their way into our lives, into our experiences. I'm going through them, perhaps so God wants us to learn how to apply them real time or something. I don't know. But Dawn has already asked me what uh, emotions she should be expecting to experience for the next few weeks, and there are going to be a lot of them, and I have to keep her updated. Uh, the second uh, reason it's a challenge to preach on this topic of emotions is that it might tend to overlap a lot with what you might learn from a counselor or a therapist. And there's a lot of useful material, of course, out there that is not specifically Christian or specifically biblical. There might be nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't really come from God's Word. And although we will certainly overlap a little bit with that kind of thing, I want to make sure that we go beyond that and try to uncover principles that are not just practical and not just helpful, but truly biblical. To seek out God's truth about our emotions and, and not just man's truth when it comes to engaging our feelings and figuring these things out. And then, of course, the third reason that it is a challenge for me to talk with you about the topic of emotions is, let's face it, uh, I'm a guy. Uh, I am a man. And maybe I'm stereotyping a little bit or a lot here, but we males are not usually thought of as being experts when it comes to getting in touch with our emotions. We know that we have them. 
Uh, we know that they're in there somewhere. We know that they occasionally make an appearance, but we're not too sure what to think of them when they do, and we're not, we're not always encouraged to really cultivate them or deal with them. Now, it isn't that guys cannot, can't get emotional. Guys can get very emotional, and you know that if you've ever been to a NASCAR race or, or an NFL game, you know, if you want proof, there it is. But in general, men are less comfortable dealing with their feelings, and so there are times that Dawn and I will be, you know, we'll be talking, and she'll say to me something like, hey, can you just... Can you just share an emotion with me? You know, what, what are you feeling? Tell me what you're feeling right now. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll dig down deep within inside, my, within, inside myself, and I'll, I'll think, okay, I, I must be feeling something, and I'll come out with something like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit hungry right now. And she's like, that doesn't count. That's not an emotion. Um, but I'm sure you guys can probably, you guys here can probably relate to that at least a little bit. But emotions can be a problematic thing, not just for men, but for everyone, because they're, they're difficult to control. And uh, they can be very powerful. And often they, they just seem to come at us, and, and we can't really control them, and that can make us feel um, uncomfortable. Emotions are kind of mysterious. We don't really know where they come from. They just seem to come to us, and sometimes at unexpected times. You know, you hear an old song or you catch the smell of autumn leaves in the air or you see a picture come up on on your screensaver on your computer. And and these things can just produce in us longings or anticipation or or regret or even grief. Uh, Other times there there doesn't seem to be any trigger at all. They, They just come at us. And the people that study these things from a biological standpoint will tell us that emotions are very much tied to our bodies and to our brain chemistry. And, and there's no doubt that our emotions often register in and interact with our physical bodies. You know that's the case if you've ever been really excited because you've just barely escaped a car accident or something like that. A few weeks ago, I had someone pull out in front of me on Old 52. I was going south through Welcome, maybe going 30, 35 miles an hour. I, this person wasn't even looking, and they pulled out in front of me, and I literally had to drive behind their truck into the parking lot that it was coming out of in order to avoid T-boning this person. And within a few seconds, I experienced fear, I experienced anxiety, I experienced relief, I experienced anger at this horrible driver, I experienced gratitude to God for helping me avoid what could have been a major tragedy, and my pulse and my blood pressure and my adrenaline level all changed in an instant. And and for the next few minutes, I was a very emotional person. I was a very energetic person, too. And one of the reasons that God has given us our emotions is certainly to motivate us and to energize us when we face these times of emergency, times when we need to act very quickly and very aggressively. When you successfully pull your child back from running into traffic, at that moment you are very thankful for the emotion of fear because you needed it. And although we should not be purely and only motivated by our emotions, that's a bad thing, they are definitely a factor in the way we make decisions and the way we respond to circumstances, and that's okay. That's okay. That's supposed to happen. God wired us that way. And our emotions are actually part of God's image within us. God is an emotional God. Let me say that again. God is an emotional God. At different places in the Bible, we find God being joyful, uh, angry, grieving, frustrated, pleased, compassionate, jealous, and a number of other emotions. And Jesus, in showing us the character of the Father, certainly himself showed us plenty of emotions, didn't he? We talked about that a few weeks ago when we saw Jesus mourning at the graveside of his friend Lazarus. But that wasn't the only time Jesus got emotional. 
And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about why we have emotions. We're going to talk about how God wants to use these emotions in our lives. Uh, We're going to talk about um, specific emotions. We're going to deal with grief. We're going to deal with guilt. We're going to deal with uh, fear and anxiety. We'll deal with some other ones. We're, We're going to think about how we can avoid the extremes of, on one hand, being completely controlled by our emotions and overcome by them, and on the other hand, dismissing them or ignoring them or, or suppressing them, which we know is not healthy. We need to learn to engage our emotions because, here's the thing, we are not totally helpless when it comes to dealing with them. We can do something about them. Indeed, the Bible actually commands us at different times to feel certain emotions. We are supposed to be joyful in hope, the Bible says. We're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're supposed to grieve with those who grieve. We are called to lament over sin. We're called to rejoice over our salvation. We are called to love mercy. There are appropriate times for a Christian to be angry. And there are also very inappropriate times for a Christian to be happy. And one of the things that we're going to find out is that for a lot of us, our emotions are simply not strong enough. I always like to share uh, helpful resources with you, Um, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you about a book. This is not the only resource that I'll be using over the course of this series of of sermons, but it's one that will provide a lot of of the framework for our discussion. Um, It's a book that came out less than two years ago. It's a great book um, that I've read through a couple times now. It's called Untangling Emotions. Untangling Emotions, and I was going to show you a picture of it, but I don't know if that'll work um, the way we're doing this, this message. And so I'm going to tell you about the authors and give you a chance to write it down. But it's written by two respected Christian counselors, Winston Smith and Alistair Groves. So if you look up Smith and Groves and look up Untangling Emotions, uh, you should be able to find it. And if you'd like to kind of follow along or if you'd like to uh, read through that yourself and and see what you learn from it, that would also be great. And one of the main ideas in this book, and really today the main idea for the rest of this morning's message, actually is an idea that I think is very biblical. It is very helpful. And in fact, I think it's essential to putting our emotions in proper perspective and, and making them useful to us instead of serving them. And to introduce you to that, I want to take you to a verse that the authors of the book do not use, but to me it's one of the most important expressions of this truth in the whole Bible. So if you have your, your copy of God's Word, um, to go to the book of Proverbs, please. The book of Proverbs. It's only one verse. So it'll be easy to memorize. Um, but go ahead and turn there if you like. I don't often go to the book of Proverbs for a lot of sermon material. I probably should more often. A Proverbs is a tough book in the sense that it doesn't always tell us what to do. It isn't full of commands like a lot of the other books are. Um, it, it, instead, it has observations. The book of Proverbs has, has very astute and God-centered observations about the way the world works and the way life just is and the way people are. And one of these very excellent observations is in chapter 13 of Proverbs. So Proverbs 13, verse 12. And I'll read it for you a couple of times because we won't be able to project it. But it says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. This verse is telling us that our emotional state, the state of our hearts, is very much tied to what is happening with our desires, with our hopes, with our dreams. 
And when we are receiving the things that we are hoping for, we feel full of life. We feel ready to tackle the world. We have energy to spare. We can deal with the little headaches of life without losing our cool. On the other hand, when those desires that are very important to us are being blocked, when we're frustrated or disappointed by life or by others or by circumstances or by God, then our hearts are enfeebled. Our energy is sapped. Our patience is non-existent. Our ability to deal with difficulty, with adversity, is almost nil. We get edgy, we get critical, maybe we shut down and get depressed. Our heart, the seat of our emotions, becomes sick. Now, this is not a big mystery to us because we all know that we act this way, even though we might not think about the emotional connection all the time. But if you think just a little bit more deeply about this observation from Proverbs, you will realize that it can become a key to unlocking some very important things about yourself and about your heart and about who you really are on the inside. Proverbs is telling us here that that one of the most important things that our feelings, our emotions do for us is that they shine a spotlight on our values, on our priorities, on what's really important to us. Because if you put it a little more informally, the more important something is to you, the more likely you are to get really worked up about it, right? Our emotions reveal what is important to us, what we value, what we live for, in fact, even what we worship. And so our emotions can also help us to uncover the idols in our hearts. And the more we learn to worship God instead of worshiping other things, the more lined up our emotions will be with what God intended them to be. And most of us have a ways to go when it comes to sharing God's values and a ways to go when it comes to sharing God's emotions or to have the emotions that he has designed us to have at the right times. There's a really good example of this uh, this principle in the Old Testament book of Jonah. You can turn there if you like. I'm going to read a few verses later on from Jonah chapter 4. But a lot of you know the story of Jonah. It's a very famous story. Jonah is an Old Testament prophet. He is called by God to preach to the people of the wicked city of Nineveh. And Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which will soon become a very brutal enemy to the Israelites. In fact, the Assyrian Empire, not a very nice place. And Jonah does not want to go up there. He does not want to preach to those people. He hates them. They're cruel. They're oppressive. He has absolutely no desire to, to, to go there, so he boards a ship bound for as far away as he possibly can, and he runs away from God in the other direction. Now, this, of course, does not work, because God uses a storm and eventually a giant fish to transport Jonah back to dry land. Now, Jonah reluctantly at this point obeys God, because he pretty much has to, and he preaches to the Ninevites. And these people in this pagan city actually believe him. They believe God, and they have one of the greatest revivals in the history of the Old Testament, right there in Nineveh. Now, Jonah is not happy about this, to put it mildly. He is ticked off. He is filled with anger. He is filled with self-pity. And he sets up camp on a hill overlooking the city to see what is going to happen next in the hopes that maybe, even though they repented, maybe God will wipe them out anyway and he'll get to watch it happen. Picking up the story in Jonah 4, verse 6, God supernaturally provides for a big vine, a plant, a big vine, to grow up over Jonah's little campsite 
so that Jonah can have some shade from the oppressive sun. And the Bible tells us there that Jonah was exceedingly happy about the vine. So he's being very emotional here. Okay? He's exceedingly happy about the vine. But then God provides a worm to eat up the vine and to take away Jonah's shade. And then God provides a scorching east wind, which, as you can imagine, makes Jonah really miserable, to the point that Jonah asks God to go ahead and just end his life. Jonah says, God, just kill me right now. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, are you really that mad about that vine that I had made for you? And Jonah says, yeah, I'm mad, I'm mad enough to die. But then God says this. This is verse 10 and 11 of Jonah 4. And the Lord said, you pity the plant, Jonah, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many cattle? God is telling Jonah, do you realize, Jonah, what your emotions are revealing here about what is happening in your heart? How happy you got about the, the vine. How angry you got. Your emotions are all messed up. And that's because your values and your priorities are all messed up. You've reached a point where you have more compassion for a plant than you have for a person. What's important for you, Jonah, apparently, is revenge over your enemies and the comforts of your own body. But what should be important to you, Jonah, is these people whom I love, whom I'm concerned for, and Jonah, if you shared my heart for people, if you really loved mercy, then you'd be happy for these people who, after all, don't know their right hand from their left or, or at least be happy about the cattle if you're not happy about the people, Jonah. I wonder if this story causes any of us to reflect on, on things that make us mad, the things that make us happy, the things that make us relieved, the things that make us hopeful, the things that really get to us. How do we look at the sinful world around us how do our emotions betray what's going on in our hearts? When do we rejoice at the pain of others or secretly hope that something bad happens to them? When do we lose our temper over petty, silly things, betraying the fact that our own creature comforts are often way too important to us? Now, compare what made Jonah mad with what makes Jesus mad. I can think of two times in particular where Jesus gets absolutely furious. Now, probably the most famous one is when he, he drives the money changers and the animal salesmen out of the temple that day after Palm Sunday. And he's saying, Is it not written, My house is supposed to be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And he drives them out of, of the temple courts. But the other one is actually in Matthew 23. And in Matthew 23, Jesus just goes off on the Pharisees and on the teachers of the law, and he uses really the harshest language we ever hear him using. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them blind guides. He calls them whitewashed tombs. In fact, he even calls them sons of hell. Why? Why the emotional outburst? Because Matthew 23, 13 tells us this. Jesus says this to them. Because you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter it yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. What makes Jesus mad? When people keep other people away from God. That's what makes Jesus mad. 
when the door of God's kingdom is slammed shut in the face of people who need to know God. And, and what does that reveal about what's important to Jesus? And how different is that from the attitude that Jonah had and the emotions that resulted? And where do we stand in that continuum? Now, if you look at Matthew 23 and even at the temple situation too, Jesus is certainly calling us here to beware of putting up legalistic roadblocks in front of the cross or passing judgment on people whom we deem unworthy of being part of his church. After all, not one of us is worthy of that. And no one comes to Jesus by being good. We know that. But Jesus is also calling us here to reflect our emotions, the things that really set us off, and discover what they are telling us about our values. How do our feelings betray our priorities when it comes to our creature comforts versus the eternal souls for whom Christ died? But let me ask you one more question before we close. What makes Jesus happy? What makes Jesus happy? I can think of two passages that explicitly talk about Jesus having joy. There's probably more, but these are two that came to mind. One is John chapter 15, where Jesus says to his disciples, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Apparently, one thing that makes Jesus joyful is when his people learn to love God and love each other. So that must be pretty important to him. But then there's Hebrews 12, too, where we are told as believers to look at Jesus, to look to Jesus, who, for the joy, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame. And so according to the author of Hebrews, Jesus' future joy, the thought of spending forever with his beloved bride, that's the church, that's us, was such a powerful motivator that it enabled him to endure the pain and the shame of dying on that cross to buy us back for God by dying for our sin in order to make us new people. Let me ask you something. Does the thought of heaven ever make you truly excited and happy? Or is that emotion really kind of weak and maybe even sort of filed away somewhere most of the time? When you think about seeing Jesus face to face, does that register as an even more powerful positive emotion for you than winning the lottery or getting a perfect job or finding the perfect spouse or seeing your team win the Super Bowl? Are you looking forward to spending eternity with Jesus. Because I'll tell you something, he seems to be looking forward to it even more. So, let me close today with the immortal words of Darth Vader. Search your feelings. Search your feelings. Why? Not because they are some sort of reliable guide to living your life. Not by themselves. You know they're not. But because understanding how you are feeling Understanding your emotions will help you discover the true desires of your heart and the true object of your worship. Let's close in prayer.